amen. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Psalm 34, the 34th Psalm. And if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, that's not a, a problem. You can open up to page 638 in the Pew Bible. 638 in the Pew Bible. We're going to be in Psalm 34 this morning as we continue in our uh, series called Gospel Music, uh, Walking with Christ in the Psalms. As you're opening up there, getting ready, uh, I do want to remind you, beginning a week from tomorrow night is our revival. It'll be at 6 o'clock next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. And that's all we'll do next Wednesday night is have our revival service. And so before that, though, we will have a meal each night. Uh, we would love to have a record. Let us know that you're coming to eat. Uh, and we're trying to make it just as easy as possible uh, for, for you to make it back out uh, to First Baptist Church next week to hear uh, my friend and mentor, uh, Clint Presley, preach. He'll be coming down from Charlotte, North Carolina next Sunday afternoon, and then we'll get started next Monday night. Our revival will kick off. Please be in prayer for that. Uh, think of someone who you may want to invite. Clint's a wonderful preacher, and I know you're going to want to be here for that. If you have your Bibles open, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. David writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 1, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children. Listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Let's pray together. Lord, today we ask You, would You open our hearts and minds, Lord, 
to be changed by your word. God, we pray that we will leave here differently than we came in. It's the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We sang some great hymns today about what it means to be satisfied in Christ, but the culture around us has hymns too. And they don't always sing about being satisfied, though. The Rolling Stones famously sang, I can't get no satisfaction. And for another generation entirely, Kanye West once said, I once dreamed I could buy my way to heaven, but when I woke up, I spent it on a necklace. And, and I think that tells us from generation to generation to generation how each generation struggles to be satisfied, to be satisfied. We live in a world where the constant refrain around us, the message that we are constantly hearing, that we see all the time, is what you have is not enough. You need more, you need more, you need more. I can't get no satisfaction. You need more stuff. And though you might could buy the world, though you could even buy your way to heaven, what you really need is another necklace. Everywhere we turn, somebody somewhere is trying to convince us that we need more. I'm on a, a, a little program, a little journey right now to try to get healthier and try to eat better. And something I've learned is that eating healthy is penalized you get less food and it's not as good for more money and it's just how, how it works it's penalized so every morning I've eaten a banana or something like that for breakfast and I ride by Jack's or somewhere like that I say two sausage biscuits for 2.22 you know I, I, I just feel I feel like I need to be buying them and freezing them you know just in case things go south Thankfully, the only people that are trying to do us a favor in this is Lil Pruitt's. You can only get 10 99-cent barbecue sandwiches, so they at least put a stop. You can't go too crazy. Somebody somewhere, everywhere we turn, is trying to convince us that we need more. We can't just have a sale on an item. We need to buy one to get another one. Buy two, and you can get a deal. Buy 10 sometimes, and you can get a deal on that we can't be happy with what we already have we need more we need better this salary is great but more would be nice we're overwhelmed with more and better than any society in the history of the world from what i'm told by historians there there's never been a more affluent society than the one we live in and yet even then think about each and every one of our own hearts even then it just still never seems to be enough what if I told you that there is an answer? What, 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 if I, what if I told you it's possible to be satisfied? Now, maybe not perfectly in this life, but what if I told you that that which you're longing for, Nathan, I think you're right, that hymn is such a beautiful text, that which you crave, that which you long for, what if I told you he was there all along? What if it's true what Augustine said, that our hearts are restless until they find our rest in him? What if what... C.S. Lewis is right that we find ourselves dissatisfied with the things in this world because we were made for another world. We were made to be satisfied by God. I, I want you to tell you something, that God didn't make you to deprive you. 
God is not trying to deprive you of good things. He's trying to give you the best thing, which is himself. You see, God's not passionate about God's glory because God's just a simple uh, megalomaniac. That's, that's not the case at all. God, God is passionate about God's glory being revealed in the earth because the only thing we can find that will make us satisfied, that will make us happy, that will content our restless hearts, the only thing we can have is Him. His glory is the only thing that's sufficient. We were made to be loved by God. We were made to know God and to enjoy Him forever. The theologian John Piper once said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It's true that God made us to satisfy our hearts in Him forever. The Bible says that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's not that we want too much then. I, I, I don't think that our dissatisfaction is because we want too much. I really believe our dissatisfaction is because we don't want enough. I don't think that we're going as high as we need to go to find the joy that God takes so seriously. I don't think that we've set our sights high enough. I think we're too easily satisfied, and that's what's kept us in the rat race. That's what kept us looking for things. And, and some of you here this morning may even say, you know, I've got all that I could want. I'm content. I've got all that I need. But I ask you this question, would you be satisfied without everything you need? Because that's what Paul says, I've learned to be satisfied in much and in plenty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You need your stuff to be happy? We have a message here from David, a message that's timeless. We have this superscript here at the beginning of the psalm that tells us who the author was, and every once in a while we get a little detail. And, and, and we learn here what was going on in David's life when he wrote the 34th Psalm. It says it's when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That happens in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and on into 22, just a little bit. And if you go back, and I might encourage you to do that this afternoon, just go read 1 Samuel 21. If you never spent much time in 1 and 2 Samuel, they're wonderful stories, fun to read, enjoyable Go, go look at it and see what's going on with David. By this point, David's been promised he will be king in Israel. And yet, the king in Israel is still Saul, who is becoming more and more deranged, is hunting after David, basically, who wants to kill David. And then David finally finds himself in a place called Gath, which is the hometown of a guy you may have heard of named Goliath. They didn't like David much there, for obvious reasons. And so what David did there, as he's king, supposed to be anointed king, but he's on the run for his life, he has to act like he's deranged. He, he feigns insanity before King Abimelech in order to survive. And if you look, the insults just keep coming throughout this chapter. He has to hide his parents. He has to do all sorts of different things here in, Psalm, in 1 Samuel 21 just to make sure. And then he, he starts to have people gather around him who really aren't the best people, anybody who had debt or anybody who had a grievance, you know. So David kind of becomes the king of the island of misfit toys in 1 Samuel 21. And so you look and you see... What he's promised has not been received, and David is in what I might call a very dissatisfying time of life. A dissatisfying time of life. But this morning from David, I hope you'll taste and you'll see that the Lord is good. I want to show you this morning three things to help you walk 
with satisfaction in God. Satisfaction with God. I, I, I hope and pray that you'll see these three things, and these three things will help your satisfaction as you taste and you see that the Lord is good. I, I love that imagery, don't you? Taste and see that the Lord is good. God doesn't want to deprive you of good things. He wants to give you good things. He wants you to taste and see that He is good. Here's the first point this morning. The first thing that I think will help you taste and see that the Lord is good. Here it is. Fearing God. Fearing God helps us taste and see. That's our first point this morning. Fearing God I'm sorry, wrong point. First point is this, that's the second point, preview. Prayer helps us taste and see. Prayer is our first point. Prayer helps us taste and see. I want you to see what David says in verses 1 and 2. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, he says, and let us exalt his name together in verse 3. I sought the Lord, he says in verse 4, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The the poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Do Do you hear the language here? It's the language of prayer. First of all, David is highlighting prayers of praise. Prayers of praise. He's thanking God for who he is. I I love this line, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Think back on where David is as he writes this psalm. He's at a time where you and I, especially me, maybe not you, but I would have a hard time praising God. I, I would have a hard time praising God. If I was running for my life, if God had made these promises, and yet here I was on the run, here I was not on the throne, here I was fearing for my life, I would have a hard time praising God. And yet yet David says prayers of praise would be continually on his mouth. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Brothers and sisters, as we pray, we must always have prayers of praise in our hearts and our mouths. It's one of the things that we do our best, and one of the things I'm most passionate about cultivating in my children is a spirit and a heart of gratefulness. Thanking God for all that He's done for us. Now, it's not always easy to be grateful. And listen, I'm a natural-born griper. Anybody else? Any of the rest of y'all like to gripe? just feels good, doesn't it? Anybody? Come on. Just feels good to complain, doesn't it? I know there's some wives elbowing some husbands right now, you know. It just feels good to complain. And yet, and yet, we ought to be people who primarily are praying God, praying to God, thanking Him for all that He's done for us. You see, prayers of praise help us taste and see that God is good because they remind us of all that we have to be thankful for. So often we tend to focus on what we have not to be thankful for. But, but prayers of praise help us focus on what we do have to be thankful for. And then when we start to really start to count our blessings, really start to consider these things, we begin to be humbled. They humble us. It, it humbles us to praise God. It, it humbles us to magnify the Lord. But even as we pray prayers of praise, we ought also to pray prayers of supplication and deliverance. We, we ought also to ask God to move 
in our lives. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Brothers and sisters, when you're in a difficult situation, it's good to pray to ask God to move in your life. God listens, he hears, he draws near. You see, prayers of supplication and deliverance express our hope in God. Any of you ever get worried? Anybody? Come on. Nobody? All right. Chris worries. Thanks, Chris. <coughs> Sometimes I'll wake up at night and just whatever I've been thinking about will just be on my mind. And I just get anxious about it. This is me confessing. It's sinful. For, it's sinful behavior. It catches me off guard. Now, I'm not a natural wor- worrier. I, 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 I don't tend toward worry. It's not really part of me but from especially in the last uh, couple of years sometimes I, I'll just wake up at night or wake up early in the morning and I'll just lay there and and just be anxious just be be worried and I've learned those fits of worry and those fits of anxiety have become some of the sweetest and best prayer times in my life I, I used to sit around and wonder what was wrong with me or what's wrong with me what do I need to do what how do I need to change? And then I just decided, you know what? This is, this is God's grace in taking my weakness, which is laying here worrying about stuff I can't do anything about at four in the morning, you know? Worrying, so worrying about that. Why don't you instead, Matt, turn this into your 4 a.m. hour of power for prayer? And so God takes my weakness and worry, and it becomes an hour of hope hour of trust, the hour of me taking these things to God. It's almost as if the Bible explicitly tells us to take our anxieties to God. No, it does. It takes our anxiety to Him and expresses our hope in God. You see, prayer altogether is a reminder that we need more than us. We need more than us. We need more than what we can do. I've had moments in those hours of anxiety where I thought there's no way out of this situation that's not terrible. And guess what's happened over and over and over again? God has taken what seemed impossible and made a way. He's made everything turn out okay. God's answered my prayers. Prayer's a reminder that my wisdom is insufficient to get the job done. My, my wisdom is insufficient to make these things happen. It's our reminder of our need for God, and it's our reminder of our dependence on Him when we pray to Him. And so what prayer does is it helps us taste and see that the Lord is good because we are reminded of the blessings as we praise Him in prayer, and we're reminded of His faithfulness as we pray to Him in anxiety, as we ask Him to deliver us in difficult situations. Prayer helps us taste and see. I might do a quiz. What's the second point? You've heard it already. Second point this morning is this. Fearing God helps us taste and see. Fearing God helps us taste 
and see. Verse 8 that I'm kind of using as the centerpiece, and I believe is the sort of centerpiece of this psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 8. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Picking up that language of Psalm 1 again. Blessed is the man. And then verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then in verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you what? The fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you saints. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, children. Some of y'all grew up afraid of God. Some of us grew up afraid of God. Not fearing God, but afraid of God. Do you understand what I mean? Some of us grew up being told all the time, and I, I, it was not me, but so, some of you did, and I know people that do, and I have family members who still struggle to see God as a God of love because they were just taught their whole life it felt like God was hiding around waiting on you to do something wrong. I saw that cigarette, you know, that kind of thing. Like That's what God was doing your whole life, just waiting on you to mess up, asking you to earn His love. And so when you hear this, you might feel kind of triggered Fear of God, goodness gracious, I thought we were done with that. But, but, but that's not what this means, is necessarily to be afraid of God. Now listen, brothers and sisters, as sinners, we ought to recognize if we choose to go on in a lack of faith, if we choose to persist in disobedience, we ought to be afraid of God because God will not allow sin to go on forever. But brothers and sisters, the good news is that God has offered us His love and grace so that if we would only trust Him, we can have a perfect relationship with Him. And, and, and though you are a Christian, though you've experienced that grace, though you are able to approach the throne with boldness, there's still a sense in which we must all have a healthy fear of God. Proverbs tells us it's the beginning of all wisdom. But here we're going to look at how fearing God helps us taste and see that the Lord is good. What, what is this fear of God? I, I believe it's a reverence and obedience to the Lord. I, I believe it's a reverence and obedience to the Lord to the Lord. Re reverence for God, fearing God, trusting God, being dependent on God. You see, I think that's one of the first aspects of what it means to fear God is that we must depend on Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man who what? Who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. Why? For those who fear Him have no lack. Be dependent on him, so that you will have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In other words, lions have to go out and, and hunt their own food and provide for themselves. And they, they're tough and they're mean and they can do it. And yet sometimes they're hungry, but those who trust in the Lord have no lack. Notice here that trust comes before obedience. As we walk through the psalm, you see the first thing, the first aspect of the fear of the Lord is to trust Him. To trust Him to provide for you, to, to, to revere Him at such a level that you trust that He's going to provide for you, that He's going to give for you, that you don't have to be like a young lion out seeking all these things, out, out living this kind of rough and tumble life, that you can trust God, that He'll provide for you. But there's also an aspect in which not only do we trust God, but we also obey God. Fearing God also means obeying Him, living a life of holiness. Come, O children, verse 11, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? How do you do it? How do you walk trusting God and obeying God? How do you live this life 
of obedience that comes from faith in God, rooted in a fear and reverence and awe of who God is. He gives us a real simple rundown. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Keep your tongue from evil. And then he says, and your lips from speaking deceit. Watch your mouth. Be truthful. Then he says what? Turn from evil and do good. That's putting off evil works and putting on good works. And then he says to pursue peace. Seek peace and pursue it. Is that what we're doing with our lives? Is that the commitment we've made? Do we fear and revere God in such a way that we're willing to walk in just simple, basic holiness? You you know, this might be a good couple of verses for us all to tape to our computers. You ever notice the way folks treat one another when they get just a little shred of anonymity? Get online or... Y'all ever read the comments on like an AL.com article? Let me advise you, don't read the comments. It's awful. It's awful the way people talk about one another, the way treat, people treat one another. They're, these little keyboard warriors get after things. And Wouldn't it be good for us to watch our mouths, to be truthful, to turn from evil and to do good, and to pursue peace in every aspect of our lives, including the Internet? Everything we do, including our social lives, including how we... What, any of y'all like to talk on the phone during the week? Are you doing these things when you talk on the phone? Are you doing these things when you spend time with your friends? Are you walking in reverence and fear of God? Because you see, all these things help us taste and see that the Lord is good. Because it reminds us that His provision is better than our own. And that His way, that is walking by faith, is better than our own. And that over time, the fear of the Lord begins to shape our affections. Such that these evil ways and these wicked ways and gossip and untruthfulness and and strife and enmity between brothers and sisters, these things begin to taste worse to us and God begins to taste better because we revere him and love him and he provides for us and we've put our trust in him and we're dependent on him and we're beginning to walk in his ways cultivating the fear of God and cultivating a taste for godliness so that you become satisfied with God more than you're satisfied with sin and then finally our final point is this (coughs) trusting God helps us taste and see that the Lord is good. Trusting God, putting our faith in God, helps us taste and see that the Lord is good. Notice what David walks through here in the last several verses. In verse 15 and 16, he shows that he trusts God's judgment. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. But the face of the Lord as against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. A man who's wicked is leading God's people. And it bothers David, but he has to trust God's justice, that God will do what he said. And here in this moment, though David is not on the throne, though David is not living the life that God has promised him, that God has anointed him to, he is trusting that God is just. But he's also trusting, not only is he trusting God's justice, He's also trusting God's presence. He's trusting God's presence. I love verses 17 and 18. 
When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Some of y'all may have a broken heart today. Some of you may feel crushed in spirit today. And I think these words don't just mean if you've got bad circumstances and you're crushed in spirit and broken hearted, but it also means maybe God's humbled you. Maybe God's, maybe God's humbled you through your own sin even. Even then, God is near to the broken hearted and He saves the crushed in spirit. Here David's recognizing he's being humbled during this waiting period, and yet he still trusts in the presence of God. But on, on top of all that, he's trusting God's providence. Trusting God's providence. Many, the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps his bones. Not one of them is broken. Here, I, I think David is talking about God's preservation of him in this situation. God keeping him safe. But I think we know from what we read in the Gospel of John that I believe David is also speaking forward. Speaking forward to Jesus Christ Himself. Who would go through affliction that none of us could even imagine. Who would humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there in his worst moment, in his lowest time, his most difficult day, God was there, God's presence was there, and not one of his bones was broken. David is trusting, and our Lord Jesus Christ trusted in God's providence. That God is in control. That God is working history toward His own ends. That all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And then he goes on to say, Affliction, verse 21, will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteousness, righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be Condemned. What is David saying? He's trusting God that God is faithful and that God is able. And even as he prophesies about Christ, God is preserving his life so that he might bring the Christ into the world and so that he might bring a message of hope and grace to the whole world so that he might save sinners by the blood of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you want to taste and see that the Lord is good, then we must look to God's providential plan and know that He has put us exactly where He wants us, and He has put us exactly when He wants us, and there will never be one thing that happens in our lives that is outside the control of a holy sovereign God. And though sometimes it may seem like life is more than we can handle, we know that in the meantime, God is sustaining us by His grace and His love, and He's pointing us toward a glorious future in Jesus Christ. And God in His providence will guide us to that day. God is faithful and God is able. And so this morning, if you find yourself struggling to be satisfied with God in Christ, I want to encourage you to pray so that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want to encourage you to fear God so that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. But most importantly, brothers and sisters, I invite you today to trust God 
Trust God. Trust God so you can taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, I want you to know that this altar is open for you today. So if you're not a Christian, you say, I I want to know Jesus. This altar is open. I believe if you'll turn from your sins in repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ. He is faithful to save you. And the second of all, you may be a believer, and you may say, Pastor, uh, I've just not been walking in the way that I should. I've not been tasting and seeing that the Lord is good like I should. This altar is open to you, and I'm here to pray for you as well. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. (coughs) Oh, Lord, (coughs) Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together, Lord, in order that we might draw nearer to you today and worship together. And God, I pray that you'll work in our hearts and lives today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.